Uh, I love it that uh, as we've been talking for the past, uh, I guess, a month now about what would you do if you only had 30 days to live and living a life of no regret. And uh, we've, uh, I think that's a great example of people who are pouring back into the community. Hopefully if you had time left on your, on your clock, and you do, you're still here today, that you would learn a few things through this series. One of those would be that you would live passionately, making your life count. And I would dare, dare say that these people are making their lives count. And the ripple effect is as you make your life count, You make other people's lives count. Now you think, what's cleaning out a chicken house got to do with helping somebody's life count? Well, the thing is, we don't see children in there right now milking cows and taking care of chickens and learning basic trades of, of life and so forth that will be there. But somebody has to do the groundwork so the children can come behind. And so we're excited about that, making our lives count. But it's not just here. We do it around the world. In fact, we've got another 30-second uh, clip from those that are on the other side of the world right now making their life count. Watch this. Hey, Grace Point. Minkai okay. 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 All right, they don't look too worn out. And now they'll be back tomorrow. They get back tomorrow. They uh, start their flight out uh, this, this evening, so be praying for them. But making our life count, I hope that's one of the things that you're getting a, a clear theme through this. And, and making your life count with, lo- loving, uh, with living passionately, loving completely, people you don't even know. We talked all about that last week. But there's, a, there's one this week that I want to talk about, and that's learning humbly. You know, the, the other two, they have a lot more energy behind them. When you finally light a fire in your soul and you come alive and you start living for something you've been procrastinating and putting back on the back burner for a long time, loving completely, as you find yourself loving people completely, again, that ripple effect is, is that you also feel the ripple back at you as you are loved completely. Amazing thing happens when we live passionately, when we love completely. But today's is a little bit more somber, maybe. Today's is one of those where we hopefully will learn humbly how to live our lives. And we realize very quickly whenever somebody is given 30 days to live, their own immortality. And you can't buy it. Steve Jobs, Sam Walton, no matter how much money they had, they could not buy the cure for the sicknesses that killed them. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't do it. You can't be fit enough to beat your own immortality. You, you can't be smart enough to defeat your own immortality. You can't be safe enough to defeat your own immortality. And whenever you are faced in looking at and realizing that I have a limited, I have a finite time on this planet and I want to make it count and I want to, I want to get it deep as I can, as wide as I can, not as wide as I can and as shallow as I can. And really thinking that through, it's, it, it, it's somewhat of a, of a daunting thought. But the reality is, is that Scripture tells us this. And we have an appointment. We have an appointment. We have two appointments with God in our life, all right? At least two appointments. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. 
We are all destined to die. That's appointment number one. Destined appointment number two is that we will all have to give an account for our life standing before God someday in, in, in our life. How did we live? How did we live for Christ? Did we know Christ? Did we not know Christ? But we all have an appointment with death. You can't escape it. And the reality is, is that no one ever dies early. No one ever slipped through the fingertips of God. God never just, oops, that was an accident. It is one of those that we need to realize our own immortality. Job chapter 12 verse 20 says, Out of the living Bible, the soul of every living thing is in the hand of God and the breath of all mankind. God puts the breath in us to breathe, puts the life in us to live. Now, the reality is, is we live sometimes as if we will never die. We live as if sometimes our life will go on. We, we procrastinate on making a will. We, we, we don't even think about our own, our own grave. We don't, even, we, we don't go there because it's a morbid thought, but the reality is, is that we don't always know. But what our goal is not to, 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 to step into, into some kind of morbid thought today. Our goal throughout this series has not been focusing on death, but has been focusing on life. And if we could come inside the life that we have, the life that God has given us, the breath that He has given us today, and live it to the very best, that would be our goal. Now, you know, the reality is, is that we don't, we don't always get a lot of warning about life and death and so forth. And uh, some of our dear, dearest, 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 dearest church members, David Melody Mills, uh, whom we love dearly, they have this habit. And, and listen, I did not time it like this, bikes, blues, and barbecue, uh, and all that kind of stuff, but they love riding their motorcycles. And uh, they are very safe with riding their motorcycles. And three weeks ago, the story of their life almost changed due to a motorcycle accident. And I asked for permission to show this photo. This is whenever Melody's in ICU. And, and every day, uh, David would have them wield his bed down to her room. And they would hold hands and they would be together. In a matter of seconds, everything can change. Sometimes we don't get 30 days warning. And uh, this is three weeks now removed from this or so. Uh, maybe off a, a few days. But uh, I want you with me to thank the Lord that they are alive and I want you to welcome them back to Grace Point Church for the first time right now. Come on up, Dave. Awesome. I'll have a seat there. Oh, that was a little too close for comfort. Did you plan that around the series? No. <laughs> you did not want to become a storyline in this story. Okay. Well, good. Uh, what happened, brother? You're a safe driver. That's the first thing that came to my mind. David wasn't crazy or Melody would have kicked him or something. So uh, You know, uh, we don't remember. Uh, they told us that we hit a deer on the highway. Results were um, David has six broken ribs, a broken collarbone, a shoulder blade, collarbone, a torn aorta. Uh, we both had spleen damage, and um, I had a, a brain bleed and torn uh, and a broken wrist. Um, I got life flighted um, because I had a concussion, and 
we ended up in the hospital. That's all we remember. <laughs> That's all you remember. Wow. Um, gosh, what what in in this process? What's the hardest thing for you guys? thing for me is uh, the physical. Right now I can't clean my own home. I can't cook. I can't do the things that I know for a fact God made me. He yeah. made me a homemaker. And that's the, one of the biggest struggles. Yeah. The other struggles we don't know yet because we haven't you know, experienced them yet. Yeah. The physical. Uh, for me it's more um, watching her. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. No. That's that's very real, you know. Um, to be healthy, and how many years have you all been married? Thirty nine years. I was going to say thirty eight. <laughs> it seems like thirty nine. I I know, but it feels like thirty eight. <laughs> for you, for her, it's thirty nine. Uh, uh, did you ever? Could you have ever imagined this happening? How long have you been riding motorcycles? Uh, I, I rode them growing up and stuff through college and stuff like that, um, but then didn't have a bike till I turned 50, and she surprised me with this particular bike. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, it's been great. I loved it. Um, it's it's just been the best. It's uh, been. Yeah, and so we'll ride again, I hope, you know, mm. want to ride again. Uh, but it's it was, uh, it was it was a difficult thing looking at what happened and, and really understanding that it actually happened. Yeah, it, it's 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 not like surreal. It's not like that. But it's knowing that this happened, and then knowing all the people that I've heard about that yeah. didn't make it through yeah. hitting a deer or a, you know an animal and, and just not making it. It yeah. was uh, that's that's been a real real something to just live through and think about. Yeah, your lifestyle has changed through this process, hasn't it? Just a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, what lifestyle? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so far it's changed the matter. Yes. How many weeks have we, are we removed from this? Four today. Four today. It happened uh, Sunday evening, um, September 2nd, and we were heading back home the next morning. So surely now, obviously, in that moment, you don't remember the event. You, you don't remember a lot uh, after. I know you told me kind of whenever you your first memory and it was some hours removed from, from it. And maybe that's just God's way of blocking it out and from a very traumatic event. But, I mean, in this time, you have had to sit still and you're a go-getter. You've had to sit down and, and both of you all have had to change lifestyles here. What is God teaching you? What do you fi- I mean, you're just four weeks into this. I mean, there's probably a lifelong lesson that's going to come for months from now. But what, what right now are you learning from this? Well, right now we're just, we know there's a story to be told out of this, and we just want to be obedient and, and hear and see what God wants us to realize through this. And and we want to glorify him through mm-hmm. all of this because we know he is control mm-hmm. of all things. And we, um, we just know there's a story. That's right. Um, also, I think uh, um, we want to we be able to see the story. We want to be able to hear it mm-hmm. because we don't know what God's going to do. I know if you've ever been in a position where you have to receive, uh, it's, it's not an easy position because of ego, pride, things like that. It's, it's difficult to receive. 
um, especially when you want to be the one giving. Mm-hmm. But um, it is it has been a testimony to our church to got it our, our family, uh, our neighborhood. Uh, it's it's been a blessing, uh, and God's doing stuff that we don't know in people's lives. Um, maybe maybe some of our neighborhood needs to see how Christians handle this type of situation. Um, and, and maybe some younger people like my son and, and his family, they need to see how a Christian handles difficulty yeah. because, because God teaches us so much, you know, mm-hmm. through the difficulty as opposed necessarily to a great Sunday afternoon ride. Yeah. So, so whatever he's going to do, we just don't want to miss it. Awesome. We want to pay attention. If we weren't paying attention before, yeah. we want to make sure we're paying attention now. We thought we were before. Yeah. So we don't. I don't see a huge lifestyle change as far as listening yeah. to God. We we try to anyway. So, but we just want to make sure that we're there, that we hear, and then when the opportunity comes, that He changes it from a physical thing to a spiritual thing, and we're having a conversation that we're we listen, we're wow. able to hear that. Do you find your antennas, though you were listening to God before, are they a little higher, a little cleaner now, uh, a little bit more reflective? Uh, you know, um, I hope so. Yeah. You know, I think so. Um, but we wanted to before. Yeah. So I, I really, I really hope it's just, I don't know. He turned the page on this deal and he had a great opportunity to take us home. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody would have blamed him, you know, and said, well, that's out of line. God, what'd God do that for? You know, we never had that question. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, he had a he, he could have taken us home, but he chose not to. So it's clear mm-hmm. there's a reason we're still here. Absolutely. And so we just want to make sure we know what that is. Melody. And, and we have we've never blamed him. Mm-hmm. We uh, we don't know if he allowed it or you know if he if he we don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But we we want to uh, be obedient to him. And I told David I said I know there's a story and. I'm not the voice in our relationship. Mm-hmm. He's the voice. Mm-hmm. And I said, but maybe God wants me to be a little bit of the voice in this. And so, <laughs> this is a big move for you to yeah. be up on stage. Yes, <laughs> so I want to be obedient even in that. <laughs> Absolutely. Let me pray for you guys. Father, we come and we lift up our brother and our sister to you. And we thank you for giving them a continued life and ministry on this earth. Lord, we can't imagine what it would be without them. And I pray that all of us would would learn and live vicariously through David and Melody today, appreciating every moment, every touch, every moment together. Lord, we thank you. And may we learn humbly how to live our life without regret. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him another hand. This is big for them to be up here. You know, I don't know if it was Tom Bodette of Motel 6 or not that said this, but this is a statement that I found this week. It says, the difference between school and life. In school, you're taught a lesson and given a test. In life, you're given a test that teaches a lesson. Um, In your life, I hope 
that if you have an experience or know of an experience like this, that you will learn vicariously through other people, that you will not have to go through all that. But the reality is that we all will pass away. And so what can we do? How can we kind of bring it in and be a little bit more humble about our lives? I want us to go in our Bibles to to uh, uh, the the gospel. Excuse me, uh, yeah, to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be there in just a moment. But uh, I could have shared today from Philippians chapter two, a very common passage of scripture, probably the most thorough passage of scripture when it comes to. Jesus and his humility. It talks about him emptying himself. It talks about him becoming a servant. It talks about how he humbled himself. There's so much in that passage of Scripture I just can't get away from, but just hang on to that one because that's kind of in the second person. That's Paul speaking of Christ. I wanted to go, as we did with David and Melody, I wanted to go more firsthand. I wanted to hear from Jesus. I wanted to look into Jesus' life. How did he live when he had 30 days to live? In fact, no, 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 this is probably even closer. How did Christ live when he had 30 hours to live? When he was in the waning moments of his life, how did he live differently? And there is one thing that is very evident in his life is that even though he being God, even though he emptied himself and put on flesh and dwelt among men, he was still God, all right? Even though he didn't have all the glories of heaven around him and all... Even though he was in flesh, he was still God. He didn't buck God. He didn't push against God. He didn't fight God. He didn't try to assert his authority as the son. No, not at all. He humbly, he humbly accepted where God was leading and what God was doing. And you see in this passage both his deity and his humanity coming out. You see his, his deity and you see his humanity. Uh, but in Luke chapter 22 is where we will be. Where we will be. You see his deity in his, omnip- on his in omniscience, excuse me, how he knows everything. He knows he's about to go to the cross. In Luke 22, you'll find that you also see his humanity, that he didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to suffer and die. He starts, he starts hemorrhaging. His, the blood vessels in his, in his, in his, in his uh, head start hemorrhaging to the point that he bleeds. Uh, he's, he's sweating drops of blood. And so in Luke chapter 22, I want us to read this passage just uh, to become familiar with it if you aren't already, and just look at the humility that Jesus models for us. Verse 39, it says, and he came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. The disciples followed him, and when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you're, if you're willing to remove this cup, this cup of suffering that he was about to go through, he knew he was about to go through it, this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed, more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, "You are, are why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you not enter into temptation. I want us to look at this passage today and I just wanted to pull apart a little bit of it. 
and just hopefully understand the humility that Christ models for us in our life. He models in the last days of his life. One of the things you see is that he aggressively and consistently seeks the Father. If I was going to put a measurement out there of some way, some means of measuring your humility, some kind of meter out there, I would have to say one of those meters out there would be to put a meter on your prayer life. Put a meter on it, measure it, how often, how earnest, how committed you are to prayer. In this passage of Scripture alone, you find the word prayer or pray four different times. Excuse me, five different times. He's constantly, he's praying, he's calling his disciples to pray, or they're going to enter into temptation. He's praying so earnestly, more earnestly, that he begins to hemorrhage. Again, his vessels begin to hemorrhage in, in his head, and so he begins to bleed. It's, it's, it's almost a gruesome, passionate scene that it is. And as he's going through this, where do we see, where do we see that Jesus aggressively and consistently sought the Father? You see it in this passage. Whenever he goes where? He goes as in verse 39, and he came out and he went as was his custom. I want you to hang on that for a moment. We'll come back to that in a moment. I'll have to tell you, in my own life, in my own walk with God, that it wasn't until I came across a guy by the name of Ian Bounds that I really understood what prayer was. I don't know that I didn't have it modeled for me, but I just didn't see it in a very real way. Prayer was something you did on the fly. Prayer was something you did as a last result. Prayer was something that you threw up to God in a, as a Hail Mary, as, as a God help me in this situation. Prayer was, was, was more of a laissez-faire thing for a lot of my life until I came across this Methodist preacher in the mid-1800s who started out as, as, a, as an attorney, put down and closed down his practice, went in as a full-time Methodist pastor in Missouri. Ends up becoming a, a prisoner of war in the Civil War. But everybody looked at Ian Bounds and has read his stuff, sees a man that is absolutely sold out and committed and believing that prayer changes things, that God hears, that things happen when we pray. All right, let me, let me give you just one of his quotes. I've got hundreds of them. We can do nothing without prayer. All things can be done by, uh, by improportionate to prayer, excuse me, it, uh, it surmounts or removes all obstacles, overcomes every resisting force, and gains its end in the face of invincible hindrances. This is a man who believed that you could conquer the world through prayer. Now, he could, now if, if Ian Bounds, this Methodist guy of the 1800s, who's he? But get past who he is. Let's look at Jesus. Jesus was a man who actually prayed. He didn't talk about prayer. He didn't teach on prayer. But if Jesus, being God, prayed, should I not pray? It wasn't that he went to a prayer conference. It wasn't that he held a prayer campaign. Jesus just lived a life of aggressively, consistently praying. And I just want you to hone in on that phrase in verse 39, that as was his custom, he went to the Mount of Olives. That phrase right there is very important because it was his custom, it was his habit, it was a tradition, it was something that he did, it was something that he did regularly. We read this verse a few weeks ago, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, rising up early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed out to a desolate place. 
to a desolate place. He goes away to a place. When the disciples were with Jesus, watching the life and the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was healing the sick. He was walking on water. He was doing all kinds of really cool things. They raised their hand one day and they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? There was something about Jesus in his prayer life that was totally, totally different. Jesus knew how to pray and he practiced prayer. Luke 11, verse 1, it says, Now Jesus, praying in a certain place. Again, notice the place theme. He goes consistently and regularly to the Mount of Olives. He went away to a desolate place in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. In Luke 11, 1, he goes to a certain place and when finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. There's something that's a commonality about Christ. He had a place. He went to it. He did it consistently. He did it throughout his ministry. What about you? Do you live a life of prayer? Like Ian Bounce, does prayer change things? Does it change? Hey, listen, it may not change the circumstances. It didn't for Jesus, but it changed his outlook. Think about it like that. Maybe the biggest thing is not getting your will, but it's getting God's will. See, prayer has to be a part of a person's life. Humility is marked by a person's prayer life. If you aren't praying, then you're probably thinking you're pretty much able to do it yourself. Notice again the the humble posture of Christ. Because in John chapter 5, verse 19, you marry all these verses together. together. It says this, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing of Himself. He can only do what He sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. I want to challenge everyone in this room to set an appointment with God consistently and aggressively seek Him. If Jesus needed prayer, if Jesus took time to pray, if Jesus impacted the world through prayer, if the the circumstances of Jesus, the perspective on Jesus, if all of that's changing by looking at his prayer life. Number two, consider surrendering to the Father's will. If you're going to learn to walk humbly, you're going to have to learn you're not God. And when you learn you're not God, you better find out who the real God is. And when you find out who the real God is, I believe you're going to find it's Jesus Christ. And when you find out Jesus Christ, then you follow Him passionately. You follow Him thoroughly and completely in your life. Because again, I want to emphasize that Jesus, in this moment, in this dark hour, He was a person of prayer. But that was the life of Christ because He prayed before His baptism. He, in Luke chapter 3, He prayed before choosing His disciples. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus was a man of prayer. Again, prayer is a sign of humility. He aggressively consistently sought God, but also he was surrendering his will to the Father's will. He didn't just go out and choose his disciples and say, God, here's my team, here's my buds, here's my dudes, bless them. He didn't do that. He actually went to God before he chose his disciples. Think about what we do in our life, how we switch things around and move things around and ask God to bless our work and we need to be about what he's about. Verse 42, it says, Father, and here's his prayer. It's very short, very succinct, but very clear and very passionate. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. That's his request. 
He put his request out there. Nothing wrong with that. You can state whatever it is. Put your request out there. But notice the next statement. It says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Here is a prayer life principle for you. Put your request out there, but surrender. Surrender to God. God, here's, here's what I'm asking. But look, God, not my will, yours be done. It's not what I want. It's not getting my will into heaven. It's getting heaven's will into me. Into me. Now, I wish I could tell you today that if you pray, God's going to give you everything you want. And there are people out there that will tell you that. There are people out there that will tell you that being a Christian every day is the best day of your life. It's not that. Guys, I've read the book, this book, not other people's books. I don't care how positive I could try to be with you today. You will have hell-ridden days. You will have crashes. Sometimes you will be burned. And it will not be easy. And Jesus at that moment and that time was the darkest moment of his life. Of his 33 years on the earth, that was the darkest moment. And he is crying out to God, God, if, you, if there's any way, please let this cup pass for me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And this is where we have a really hard time being humble by taking our will and putting it on the altar and saying, God, I want your will. But here's the great thing about the Christian faith. If you haven't figured it out yet, figure it out today. And live a life without regret. Live humbly and learn to live humbly in your life because you're going to get to do something every day if you live the faith. You're going to get a chance to die every day. Your will, your wants, your desires are going to have an opportunity to put them on the altar and to say, God, it's not what I want. It's what you want. One eminent psychologist said it like this. The chief duty of human being is just to endure life. Now, wouldn't you like to pay $150 for that psychologist? Just endure life. I like the Westminster Confession that says, Man's chief aim is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Write that down. Remember that this week. My chief aim is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I will tell you this, the, the Christian walk will be tough if you live it. But there will be nothing in this world that will bring you greater joy than knowing that you're living and abiding in the will of God. And that means you no longer are in control. You're no longer the big man. You're no longer the boss. You're no longer calling the shots. But you're surrendering your will to His will. It's the most freeing thing. It's what David said so well when he said in Psalm 119, He said, run in the path. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Now, doesn't that sound like somebody running through the meadows? Doesn't that sound somebody un unencumbered? Doesn't that sound like somebody who is not weighted down with burdens of guilt and shame and loss? Doesn't that sound freeing? But what's the first statement? I'm going to run in the paths of your commands. Now, if I just said I'm going to run in the paths of your commands, we don't like commands. We don't like commandments. We don't like being told what to do. If you don't want to be told what to do, do your own thing, but live with your own results. Can I say that to you again? 
If you don't want to follow God's commands, then you just do your own thing, but you're going to get to live with your own results. But if you go with His commands, you will live free. And even if life gets pressed down on you, and even if you don't get all your prayers answered the way you want them answered, grow with Him. Grow with it. And let God's will be flourish in you. Number three, when you look at the life of Christ in the last 30 hours of His life, He was aggressively doing what He had done all of His life. He was praying. Number two, You can't miss it. He surrenders his will to the Father's will. But number three, he sets out on God's perfect plan. Now, in this passage, he has to go to wake up his disciples constantly, constantly, constantly. And one of the the things about this passage is it doesn't include one of the statements that Mark's account includes. So I want to I want to kind of I want to kind of I want us to kind of go there in, in a moment. But here's how God told us to live our life, all right? You want to sum it all up? You want a verse to memorize this week? Memorize Micah 6.8. Oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice. To love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. Now I could pick each one of those apart, but let's just focus on the last one since that's the theme of today. Walking humbly with God. That means if you go through the motions, if you don't go through the steps that Jesus went through, you seek God consistently and aggressively in prayer. You lift your request up to God. And maybe God answers in the way you want. Maybe He doesn't. But you rise up out of that, surrender to His will. And then the rest of your day, the rest of your life, the rest of the hours of your life, you walk humbly in His will. So what does Jesus do? When God doesn't give him what he wants. All right? Think about that. Or did he? He didn't want this of the flesh, but he actually wanted more than that. He wanted the will of God. So he surrenders to God's will. God doesn't give him what he requested originally. What does he do? Mark 14, 42. Rise. This is what he tells his disciples. Let us be going. See, my betrayer, is at hand. What does he do? He literally gets up from prayer. He literally gets up and he gets his disciples up asleep again. And he gets them up, which is so often what we're doing, uh, gets them up and he says, let's go forward. Let's not stop. Let's not, let's move forward in the will of God. Walking humbly with God. Willing to accept the betrayal, the kiss, the scourging, the lashings, Willing to go that way because that's what God's will was for his life. See, humility should mark you. should mark me. And it's going to mark my life. My prayer, it will be that element that will state my humility. Because I'm realizing I'm not in control and I'm surrendering my will, my life to God. But the sad thing is, do an inventory of your own life. We don't pray. Came across this study just this past week. We spend more time flossing our teeth than we do praying. Or more people spend time flossing their teeth. 49 to 48%. Flossing our teeth daily versus any type of prayer. That, By the way, that was even the Hail Mary prayers, the driving down the roads. And oh, also, this is not just anybody outside the church walls. These are church-going 
folks, all right? We floss more than we pray. It gets even worse. 68% walk their pets daily, and only 19% read their Bible daily. Now, how in the world are you ever going to know God's will? How in the world are you ever aggressively seeking Him? How are you ever going to surrender to Him if your pet's poo in the backyard is more important than His Word? Think about it. I, I want to encourage you to look at your life of prayer. Surrender demonstrates your humility. Your resolve to do God's will is a mark, is an indication of your humility before God. You know, it... I hope that in this series and through this reading, this book, and your body life groups, I hope that you've had time to slow down and reflect. If not, this is the week to learn humbly, to think about your life a little bit differently. And here's the question that we're going to pose out to you this week. I want you to tweet it, think about it. If you don't tweet, don't worry about that. But here's what it is. Here's the question. Fill it in. Just fill in the statement. In this one month to live, God is fill in the blank. What is He to you? What has He become to you? What has He taught you? What has He done in you? See, if we go roughshod, bull in a china closet into this world, and we are not stopping long enough, seeking Him deep enough, we're missing it. And all of a sudden, life is going to crash in on us. We're going to wonder, what did I do wrong? Where did I mess up? Or we can live a life without regrets and right now stop this train and start saying, God, I'm listening. God, I'm praying. God, here's what I want. God, I want more than anything. I want what you want. And then stand up and go out humbly, walking humbly with Him. You know, I think everyone in this nation and not the world lives under the um, the technology of Steve Jobs in some fashion. And as I said in the beginning of this message, even Steve Jobs can't buy life. And I don't agree with much of what Steve Jobs' philosophy and theology was on life. I'll have to say that as a, as a front-end statement. But I do say this about Steve Jobs. He was asking the right questions. Just, I don't know why I agree with his answers. But there was a statement that he read whenever he was 17. I want to read it to you. He said, when I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, if you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. It has made an impression on me, and since then, for the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? I want you to ask yourself this question. If this was the last 30 days of your life, are you on the right track? Are you walking humbly with Him? Are you seeking Him aggressively and consistently? I would hope that today would be a day of renewal, a day of slowing down. If, you, if you've got banked vacation days, take two or three this week and get alone with God, humbly seeking Him. Clear your calendar a little bit. Give yourself a little bit more margin. Seek God.
find out what he's wanting to do in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we want to walk humbly with you. We don't want to miss you. Lord, as the band and team sing over us today, We take time in the stillness of this moment and seek your face and answer the question. Fill in the statement. In this study, in this month that we've been together, God is what? God is moving. God is drawing me closer. God is teaching me. God is emptying me. God is stripping me. God is loving me. God is embracing me. God, what are you doing right now? Continue the work. Just remain with your heads bowed. You may need to do some writing right now, but I know that whenever you leave here, life is going to come crashing in on you, and I'm just going to ask the band that they would sing over you. You just remain in the spirit of prayer. If you need to come and kneel at the front, come and kneel at the front. This is your time. But don't miss this opportunity to humbly, aggressively seek God.